Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Chapter 21, Genesis 21. I asked them to sing that song tonight to begin our service because tonight we're going to look at the enduring faithfulness of the everlasting God. And the enduring faithfulness that should be our response to his faithfulness to us. Dr. Woodrow Kroll uh, has said that faithfulness, whether to God or others, requires four things. Desire, we have to want it. Commitment, we have to stick with it. Determination, we have to pay a price for it. And number four, time. Time. Endurance is measured over time. I want to talk to you about enduring faith tonight as we look at an old acquaintance of Abraham and Sarah who comes back into the picture here as we look at the covenant that Abraham makes with King Abimelech. If you remember back in chapter 20, uh, it's just a few verses for us, but for Abraham this was a few years. This was before Isaac's birth. Isaac is you know, in his uh, out of his toddler years now, he's uh, probably around Elijah's age and he is being visited here now by Abimelech again. But we had this encounter between Abraham and Abimelech back before Isaac's birth. Whenever. Abraham and Sarah came into the land and Abraham fell back into an old habit. He got afraid, even though he had trusted in God and had these great spiritual victories in his life. He still is a human being, just like you and I are still human beings. And, and even though we have great moments of, of, of faithfulness and faith and spiritual victories, that doesn't mean that we are not susceptible to stumbling. And Abraham stumbled and he said, let's, Sarah, remember, we are brother and sister, half brother, half sister. You know, we have we're brother and sister. So let's let's just say that that's all we are so that Abimelech doesn't kill me to get you. And of course, Abimelech took Sarah, thinking she was a, a single woman, took her into his home and was about ready to marry her. And God cursed the people in his home because of the sin that he was about to commit, even though he didn't know it was a sin. And so God spoke to Abimelech in a dream. And Abimelech came to Abraham and said, why, how could you do this to me? Why would you lie to me? You know, God is punishing me because of what you have done. And then he uh, rebukes Sarah as well and says, here, I'm giving you back to your brother. And then he blesses Abraham with a with an offering and sends Abraham away. Now that he has seen the miracle 
that is the birth of Isaac. I don't think that this is a, a story that just stayed in Abraham's area. Of course, he, didn't, he was a wanderer, right? He was a vagabond. He's moving from town to town. But don't think that it's just stayed in his home. This is a miracle that, I mean, you know how people talk, right? You imagine how quickly that story got around. Abraham is a well-known man. He's a wealthy man. He's a, a, a man who has traveled around the, the, uh, the, his world, around Canaan, and people know who he is. People know how old he is. People know how old Sarah is. And for nine months, they watched as Sarah showed her pregnancy and they heard about the birth of the child. And, and it's been years that people have had to spread this story and to witness for themselves. This hundred year old man and 90 year old woman with a with a child. And so now Abimelech is coming back to Abraham. And I want to show you in chapter 21 uh, what occurs between these two men. Now, I, I have to be honest with you, the last time, which it's been a number of years since I've taught on the life of Abraham, but the last time I taught on the life of Abraham, for whatever reason, I skipped over this story. And as we were going, uh, going through the study again together, there's been a couple uh, of these events, historical events, that I thought, this time I'm going to cover this. I'm not going to skip over it. And I almost skipped over this one again, but I just felt like the Holy was, Spirit was saying to me, it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. Don't skip over it. I know that the event of Abraham not sacrificing like Isaac, but sending off, sacrificing to the Lord in another sense, sending off his, his son, who he wanted to be the firstborn because he was the chron chronologically firstborn. He was the oldest son. But God said, he's not going to be your firstborn. Firstborn in, in that culture was a title. It wasn't just it didn't just deal with who was first. It, it dealt with who was going to be the heir, who was going to carry the family responsibilities. And God said, you give me Ishmael. I'll take care of him, but you let him go. And then in chapter 22, we have what it's all about, what it all comes to. This picture that God has been getting ready to paint and he spent over a hundred years setting up the canvas and setting out the paints so that he could on Abraham's life draw the picture of Jesus Christ that he is going to sacrifice his son he asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac because it's a picture of what God the father is going to do when he sends Jesus to us and Lord willing we'll, we'll look at that again next week and we'll look at that uh, much more in depth but in between those two great sacrifices and those two great testimonies, there's this interesting encounter that if we're careful, if you blink, you're going to miss it between Abraham and Abimelech. And I believe there's some lessons that God wants to teach us in these few verses about enduring faith. And I want to show you through, uh, five things tonight about enduring faith. Remember, Abraham is our model of faith. He uh, is the father of faith. And so there's a sense in which he is he is like a father to us because he's the model of of being saved by grace through faith. Abraham believed God. Moses wrote. And Paul 
underlines and circles and highlights and says, remember what Moses wrote. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham is not in heaven today because of his works. He's not in heaven today because uh, of uh, leaving his home and because of trusting God when it seemed impossible. He is in heaven today because he believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It's the same way we get into heaven. We don't get into heaven by our works. We don't get into heaven by being part of our church like this or getting baptized or uh, giving to the church or being a good citizen and uh, voting and voting the right way. And we don't be, be get into heaven by being a good uh, husband or wife or being a good parent or being a good child or a good sibling. We get into heaven one way, and that is through the way, Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He rose again. And he offers us forgiveness of sins. He offers us eternal life. But we have to call upon him. We have to receive it. We have to admit that we need forgiveness of sins. We have to call upon him for that. The Bible calls that repentance. And when we believe God, it's credited to us for righteousness. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But understand that after we make that decision, God has a further plan for us. That's not the end of our story. That's the beginning of our story. And God wants us to display these same five characteristics of enduring faith that Abraham displayed. Now let's read these verses together and then we'll walk back through them. Genesis chapter 1, 21, picking it up in verse 22. And it came to pass at that time... So this is, uh, he's dwelling in um, the land. Um, Ishmael has taken a wife. He's, he's left. He's, he's taken a wife of the Egyptians. So some time has passed here. And it came to pass at the time that Abimelech and uh, Phicol, I'm going to take a wild stab at that, the chief captain of his host spake unto Abraham. So King Abimelech travels with his military commander, because when you're king, you don't just go take a walk in the park, right? He's traveling through dangerous territory. He's coming with his military commander, the chief captain of his host. And he comes to Abraham. And here's what he has to say to Abraham. God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now, therefore, swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me. Hashtag again, <laughs> parenthetically again. That thou shalt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son. But according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And Abraham reproved Abimelech. Because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I, I what not what who hath done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it but today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech. And both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven the ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand 
that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the uh, Philistines land many days. Now, just parenthetically, uh, before we get into this, this uh, notation here was added at some point by the Holy Spirit, but at the hand of a scribe, because uh, remember, the, the New Testament tells us, Second Peter chapter 1, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, not just apostles and prophets, but everyone who had a part in recording the scriptures, the scribes as well, were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were all part of the process. At this time in history, there are no Philistines. There will be Philistines. That's going to come in the future. And the scribes were inspired by God to clarify that and to add that as an insert into the account that this is the land of the Philistines that we're talking about. Interestingly enough, the term Philistine means invader. To mock the Jewish people, the Romans began to call Canaan the land of the Philistines, or in English, Palestine, which means land of the Philistines. They did it to mock the Israelites. But in so doing, they were calling it the land of the invaders. They were... By the very name they, get, they gave it without realizing it, saying that the people who inhabit the land are invaders. It belongs to Abraham. It belongs to the people of God. And just as a little parenthetical note before we walk through this, the, the Holy Spirit is reminding us that while this land was given to Abraham for many, many years, thousands and thousands of years, it will be a land full of invaders. But there is a day coming when there will be invaders no more. And it will be fully restored to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their descendant, David, and their greatest descendant, Yeshua ben David, Jesus, son of David, uh, when he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords on the earth. Now, with that aside, Let's look at some characteristics that we see in Abraham's life from these few verses. And as we walk through these, I would just ask you to ask yourself, does my life display these characteristics? Does my life display, first and foremost, a true, even if tarnished, testimony? A true, even if tarnished, testimony. None of us have a perfect testimony. None of us are sinless. None of us are without flaws, without failures, without faults. Abraham was not without failure. And he is now encountering a man who he failed. A man who he had lied to. A man who he had sinned against. Nevertheless, even though he knew of Abraham's sin and had suffered for Abraham's sin, Abimelech could not deny the hand of God upon him. The blessings poured out on Abraham were undeniable. Now, 
I don't expect you to have the testimony of Abraham or Sarah. I don't think any of you would have to worry when you hit 90 that you're going to have a baby. Okay? I don't, think, I don't think you have to worry about that. Your testimony is not going to be the same as Abraham's or the same as Sarah's. That's not the point. The point is, can people look at your life and see that God's hand is on you? I'm not saying that they see that you have a perfect life because none of us do. I'm not saying that they see that you have a, a, a life without conflict. None of us do. Abraham did not have a life without conflict. We just saw him have to give up his son Ishmael to the Lord. We have seen throughout his life he had trials. He, he, he faced uh, conflict with his nephew who he wanted to raise as a son. Many things that happened in his life that were trials and struggles, and yet through it all, it was obvious that God was with Abraham. Friend, you are no less a child of God than Abraham. And so if you are a child of God, I can promise you, you're going to experience the discipline and the blessing of God. And the discipline of God is to get you to the blessing. The discipline is a blessing, by the way. It is a blessing. It's, it's a painful blessing. When God disciplines us. But can people see your life and see something different? Despite the history between these two men, Abimelech wanted a covenant with Abraham because he knew he could clearly see the hand of God on Abraham's life. He wanted to share in that blessing. And by the way, this is a fulfillment of Genesis 12, verse 3. You want to keep a finger in chapter 21 and turn back with me to chapter 12 where we started this a number of months ago. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Friend, we are still talking about Abraham today. Thousands of years later. And I will bless them, verse 3, that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, ultimately, that comes through Jesus Christ. And that promise is realized through the descendant of Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. But we begin to see it here. Abimelech wants the blessing that God had promised to Abraham. And he wants to be part of that. But the memory of Abraham's failure was also fresh in his mind. The deception was also undeniable. The blessing was undeniable, but the history was also undeniable. And so notice that the king understood this quote-unquote pagan king who actually did believe in God and actually did uh, want to be obedient to God and did have some level of faith in God. Even though before Abraham met him, he just assumed, well, he must be a pagan. It, it shows that even Abraham was not always very discerning. We're not always very discerning either when we prejudge people like that. But Abimelech realized better than a lot of us that God will hold us accountable for our words. God will hold us accountable for our words. So look again what Abimelech says here, verse 23. Swear unto me here, 
Right now, Abraham, don't, we're not leaving this place until you do. Swear to me by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me. And again, any more I would add. Because here's what he knew. Uh, Abraham, you make this covenant, God's going to hold you to it. God's going to hold you to your word. I don't want you to trick me again. I don't want to be taken advantage of again. I, wanna, I, want, I see God blessing you, and I want to get under that umbrella of blessing. I, wanna, I, I see God working here in your life, and I want to be part of that. And by the way, that's a good, good uh, model for us, too, is to look at where and what God is already blessing and try to get a part of that, try to be part of that, try to be involved in that because we can see God's hand on it. But he knew that God would hold Abraham to his word. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, that we are all going to give an account for every idle word. Better not to say than to say and not mean. That's why later Jesus would say, hey, don't even swear, guys. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Now, we could say, well, this was um, a long time before Jesus said that. That's true. We could also say this was a political. I mean, this is with a king. But as a general rule, we would say what Jesus said. Yes, be yes. And no, be no. Because God will hold us accountable when we break our word. I, I've shared this recently, I think, with our Sunday morning Bible study class. Um, you know, th there was a, a number of years ago, not not in this church. OK, but a number of years ago when Gigi and I were having a conversation about somebody and Gigi said, you know, they're lying to you. Right. And I said, I do know they're lying to me, but I also know that God will hold them accountable for what they're saying. And so I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to let them prove me wrong. I, I absolutely believe they're lying to me. But if they are, God will take care of that. God will hold us accountable for our words. And so if we are truly God's children, we'll experience his blessing. We'll experience his discipline when we lie. But I want to remind you what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. God will discipline you. And sometimes we do the right thing and we suffer consequences. But God says, just so you know, it's way better when you suffer for doing the right thing because I'll take care of you when you suffer for doing the wrong thing I'm going to have to discipline that might be in fact that might be my discipline but when you suffer for doing the right thing I will take care of you and even that can be a testimony that when people falsely accuse us falsely accuse us falsely accuse us that they are by the Holy Spirit they're convicted because they see when our conscience is clear by the Holy Spirit and we are sincere with we're, we're right with God. Hey, God, see if there be any wicked way in me. Right. As David said, lead me in the in the path to uh, to righteousness. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And by the way, that would include us as his children, that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if I could just summarize that 
message in one sentence, it would be this. The way that we live in the world should first create a desire or thirst for God in others. We're the salt. And the second, we should give direction to God in word and deed. That's what it means to be light. So as salt, we create a desire for God by how we live. As light, we give direction to God. Show people how to believe, how to trust what the gospel is, what they need to trust in, who they need to trust in. We talk about Jesus. We talk about what he did for us when he died for us and rose again and when he saved us and how he's changed our life. We're ready to give an answer as salt and as light for the hope that lies within us. Now, that's the first thing. Do I have a true, even it's tarnished, we, all of, every testimony here is tarnished, but do I have a true testimony for Jesus Christ, for how he's changed me, and that others are able to see God's blessing in hand on my life? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's in the suffering when we suffer well that we really shine the brightest for Christ. And a Christian who has gone through an incredible trial, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a physical handicap or uh, another type of issue, when we suffer well, that is a testimony that cannot be denied. And we say, people, how are you doing so well? He said, it's not me. <laughs> Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Savior. A true but tarnished testimony. Number two. Does my life also display a defense of justice? A defense of justice. True justice. Not this social justice joke. Okay? True justice. That, re remember, because remember the Bible says, the law of Moses says you are not to show favoritism to anybody. You're not to show favoritism to the rich and you're not to show favoritism to the poor. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And you're not supposed to adjust your penalties based on what you think somebody deserves. What is the judgment? What is right? What is the consequence for what is wrong? That's what we should pursue. And here we see Abraham defending his right to a piece of property a well that he had dug that was taken violently from him by the servants of Abimelech. Now, Abraham had not made an issue of this when it happened to him, when he was mistreated, when his servants were mistreated by Abimelech's servants. He didn't make a major issue of this. He didn't pout about it. He didn't try to fight about it. He didn't curse Abimelech for it. Nevertheless, when the opportunity presented itself, because now Abimelech is coming to him, Abraham says, oh, by the way, your servants stole something from me, and if we're going to make a covenant, then you need to restore that. Now, he's 100 years, he's 100 plus years old. Why does he care about one well? He's not, he's not worried about himself. 
He's worried about what he's going to leave his son. And he's worried about what happened to his servants. And he's worried about what is right and what is wrong. And he wants, it, he wants justice to be done. Now, the verb tense here, I'm not going to bog you down with, with Hebrew verb tenses, but the verb tense here, let me just say this, indicates this was not just a one-time statement by Abraham. Abraham had to keep bringing this up in their debate, in their discussion, and in, in their, some of you have, have gone back and forth on legal documents before, right? A contract. You've, you've had to work out, uh, work with, through, through somebody, with a con- through a contract with somebody. The back and forth. Well, what if we do this? Well, what if you do that? That's what's happening here. I know we just have a few verses, but they're, deal- they're dealing with the details of the, of the covenant. And Abraham, the verb tense indicates he keeps bringing this up. You, your, your men took a well from me. Your men, and what's Abimelech's defense? Well, I didn't hear about it till today. I didn't hear about it till today. You didn't tell me about this before. I would have taken care of it. Well, we're going to take care of it now. We're going to take care of it now. Abraham pressed the issue. Listen, God wants you to defend your rights, but he wants you to do it legally and righteously. Abraham's not trying to get him back. He's not trying to do something underhanded. He's not saying, well, you did something to me, so I'm going to do something to you. That's not how, but now that he has a legal opportunity to deal with this issue legally, he is now pursuing legal recourse and he's doing it righteously and he's pressing the issue do you remember in luke chapter 18 when jesus told the parable a a parable that he says uh, luke tells us that jesus taught this parable so that we would not give up when we pray that we would pray with persistence and endurance that the widow was wronged and she kept going to the wicked judge, and the wicked judge didn't care about her, didn't care about her, didn't care about but she kept coming and kept coming and kept coming like a fly that he couldn't swat. And finally, he just threw up his hand and said, fine, I'll give you justice. And God says, if that's how a wicked judge would act, what do you think the righteous judge is going to do when you bring your case to him? See, it's not righteous to be a, 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 a doormat. It's not righteous to be a patsy. It's not righteous to let people take advantage of you. When Jesus said, turn the, other te- uh, turn the other cheek, he wasn't saying, let people just walk all over you. He's saying, don't respond in violence. And, and the context there really is, has to do with witnessing. That's another subject for another time. But what he is telling us here is you need to pursue your rights. And you have to be thinking about how does this not just impact me, but how does it impact my family? How does it impact those who depend on me? Abraham had a life that modeled a defense of justice, but also, along with that, also a pursuit of peace. A pursuit of peace. Abraham agreed to the covenant. This was not just a covenant until I die. Abimelech said, I want this to go down to our grandkids. I want this to to cover my son and my grandson. This is going to be a long-term covenant between my descendants and your descendants, because I know that God's hand is on you. I've seen that, I, I've seen that miracle child, and I want, I want the covenant with him too. I want this to be a long-term thing. And what did Abraham do? Even though he had been wronged, and even though he had wronged Abimelech, he agreed to the covenant. He pursued lasting peace. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, follow 
peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Sometimes you can't have peace. We've talked about that many times, Romans 12, 18. As much as depends on you, live at peace. But it, sometimes we do all we can and somebody is just set a, against peace. And we're not responsible for them, we're responsible for us. So follow peace, pursue peace, try to live at peace with people. You say, well, what, you don't know what they did to me. Hey, take it up with him. I, I don't know what they did. And, and again, sometimes, sometimes peace is not possible because of the circumstances, because of the heart of the other person is hardened. But don't let your heart be hardened. Don't let your heart be hardened. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Abraham, a true testimony, a defense of justice, a pursuit of peace. Number four, notice this also. For some of us, this is a four-letter word, a willingness to compromise. A willingness to compromise. Look again at verse 27. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven, seven new lambs of the flock by themselves. So if you remember back in chapter 20, verse 14, when Abimelech sent Abraham away, he sent some oxen with him. He was basically like, you caused enough trouble here, Abraham. Let me encourage you and incentivize you to leave me alone, to go away. And now this same king is seeing God's hand continue on him. And he's saying, you know what? I better, I better make peace with this guy. And Abraham is actually giving back a portion of what was given to him. We don't know how much of a portion, but he's giving back. He's compromising with this covenant. He's giving something that he didn't need to give. And then in addition to that, he adds seven lambs as a testimony. Abimelech, like, what, are, what are those lambs for? I didn't give you those lambs. I didn't give you, I don't remember giving you seven lambs. What, it, what, is, what is this for? Why are they special? Why are they separate? Because I want you to know, King, when I told you, I know I've lied to you before, but I want to tell you, I'm telling you the truth. That is my well that I want back. And so I'm willing to sacrifice for I'm willing to compromise on it. As believers, listen, we never compromise the truth. We never compromise on truth. But if we're not willing to compromise elsewhere, then there's a pride issue. Then there's a pride issue that we need to deal with. God has brought a lot of humility into Abraham's life. He is willing to compromise. And so look for areas where you can compromise with your spouse, with your other family members, with that person at work or that person at church or that neighbor who won't leave you alone. Look for areas where you can compromise as a testimony to the Lord. Because again, it all goes back to being salt and light. It all goes back to being salt and light. Now notice what happens next as we close. Wherefore, verse 31, he called that place Beersheba because there they swear both of them. This is the um, place to the covenant or the place of seven. Marking, he names it after the seven lambs that they made as part of this covenant. Then Abimelech rose up and his chief captain with him. They returned. But notice what Abraham does here in verse 33. Abraham planted a grove. Now, 
In the Hebrew, it is actually a specific type of tree that he plants. And we know that uh, in English, we would call it a tamarisk tree. A tamarisk tree. I'll show you a picture of that in just a second. But this was a growing and enduring witness of life and shade even in the wilderness. And what does he do as he plants this tree? And he calls there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham's over 100 years old. He's not planting that tree for himself. He's not planting that tree for himself. But he wants Isaac to remember he doesn't know about Jacob and Esau yet, but he wants his grandkids to remember. He wants the people that come after him to remember what God has done for him and how great and faithful he is, the everlasting, eternal God. Yes, no one had waited. No one has endured in this room as long as Abraham and Sarah. Because you ain't 100 years old. Any 100-year-old people? Did I miss anybody? I don't think there's any 100-year-olds here. Few people in history, especially after the flood, few people have endured and waited on God as long as Abraham and Sarah. But what is the testimony? Is he, when he finally gets what God has given him, is he, oh, well, it's about time, God. No, no, he is, God, you are faithful. You are everlasting. And I want my descendants, I want my son and my grandkids and all of my descendants to know how great you are. He left a legacy witness. What are you doing to leave a testimony of God's faithfulness for your kids, for your grandkids, for your great-grandkids? Something you've written, something you've planted as a testimony that you can say, hey, this marks God's faithfulness. Now, there's an old... Chinese proverb, and I want to show you this picture as we close tonight of this tamarisk tree, and you see what this tree looks like when it's grown. An old Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So there's some things that we have let slip we didn't plant them 20 years ago like we wish we should have, like we, we wish we had and, and we know we could have. If given, you know, if I knew 20 years ago what I know today, boy, would I have done things differently. We all feel that way, if we're honest. But 20 years from now, if the Lord tarries and he gives us all another 20 years, what do you want to look back 20 years ago and think? Do you want to look back and think, oh, man, I... If only I had done this for the Lord. If only I had said that for the Lord. If only I had made this decision or that decision. Or, look what God has done. Look how God has blessed. And how, how awesome it is that I can just be used by God for, for that period of time. So what is it that God wants you to plant this week? What is it that you need to start doing tonight? Before you go to sleep, before that head hits the pillow... What is it that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you can start the legacy now? 
or for some of you, you can strengthen the legacy going forward. You can keep building it up. You can keep pointing back to that tree, whatever that tree symbolizes in your life. But let's remember the privilege that we have of leaving a legacy witness. Paul tells Timothy, as Paul's about to die, he's poured his life into Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, Timothy, I have poured my life into you. You need to find faithful men that you can pour your life into as well, that you can, that you can teach and make sure that they're able to teach others so that those men will be able to teach others so that those men will be able to teach others so that those men will be able to teach all the way down to us. Isn't that awesome? That heritage of faith that has passed all the way for almost 2,000 years now across languages, across continents, across oceans. But it's because of the decision that men made that they wanted to proclaim the faithfulness of God to all generations and the commitments and the decisions that they made. I want this church, I want my family, I want my life to have an enduring faith and display these five things. And I pray that you want that as well. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the faith of Abraham, the incredible testimony of this man, uh, God, who made a friend out of an enemy, God, because of how you worked in his heart and life and how you changed him and the blessings that were so evident on his life. And so, God, we pray that our eyes would not be on our temporary circumstances, but our eyes would be fixed on the everlasting God that you are. We give you praise and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.